Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So last week, I think it was exactly a week ago, I introduced a concept to you. It's my notion of what the Kirby Doctrine is. In other words, what is the the method by which Kirby Smart's trying to build the best version of Georgia possible? How was it that Georgia won the national championship? And what is the bedrock foundation for how Georgia seeks more national championships in the future? And what we explained last week is, in my mind, the Kirby Doctrine is taking talented players and making them tougher take talented players, develop them so they become better. That you have to have both sides of that. You have to have talented players. Coaching alone is not enough. But also, talent alone isn't enough either. You can't just grab a bunch of you know good-looking guys out of high school and throw them out there and hope for the best. You have to take those guys. You have to work to make them tougher because that's how you get the most out of them. You have to develop them to get them better. And sometimes that takes a couple of years to do so. But over the course of time, uh, that's the kind of thing that's going to build the best version of Georgia. You've heard this said before by coaches that you may have known growing up. You may have even seen this poster on the wall of your high school, something along those lines, that a hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Well, the inverse of that is what happens when talent works hard? Well, what you have is a lot of what you had with Georgia a year ago, which a lot of folks on TV flipping channels in the fourth quarter because the games were pretty boring because the very talented players from Georgia were working so hard throughout the week, working so hard during the game that most of the games that Georgia played were rendered kind of non-competitive. That's what happens when talent works hard. That's the Kirby doctrine. Take talented players, push them to get tougher, push them to get better, and the results will be a cakewalk towards an undefeated regular season and eventual national championship as it took place in 2021. So today, I kind of want to pick up on that notion again here and talk a little bit more about the philosophy that I see from Kirby Smart. We'll actually hear Smart in his own words on this coming up in a moment. But there is a philosophy that I see from Kirby Smart And I think it's pretty intriguing. And let me explain it this way. Most of the time, you know, in in football, we are used to the idea that speed matters, that speed's very important. You want to play fast. You want players who run fast. Everything about football is about speed, 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 speed. But what if there was one area in which going a little slower was actually better? What if there was an area in which speed is actually to the detriment of the person who's trying to go fast? I was thinking about this. There's a writer. His name is Andy Andrews. He's kind of like a self-help type guy. And I realize that's not everybody's cup of tea. I totally understand that. But there was a, a line attributed to Andrews that I read a few years ago. And it's one of those things, you know, like certain things just sort of stick with you. And I end up thinking about this a lot. One of the things that Andrews once said was, is that successful people make decisions quickly and then they change their mind very slowly however on the other hand unsuccessful people make decisions very slowly but end up changing their mind quickly and when I look at my own life when I've had like my greatest periods of dissatisfaction when I've felt the less the the, the least successful it's kind of a, a a level of indecision that Andrews describes there that probably would that would feel true to me during those periods but we're not here to talk about me we're here to talk about college football and georgia in particular and once again the idea that andrews describes there 
I think explains a pretty important aspect of Georgia football, that that the program has made up its mind pretty quickly about what matters, as we said before, get talented players, push them to make them tougher, develop them so that they get better. That's the idea that defines Georgia football. It didn't take Kirby very long to decide that's what he wanted to do. And no matter how much things change, seem to be changing around the uh, world of college football, Kirby Smart just seems intent to change his mind very slowly that Georgia should do things differently from the way that it does. Like take the two big hot topics that exist kind of outside the boundaries of Georgia football, outside what I think of as the bubble of dog nation. Talk about NIL, you talk about transfer portal, you talk about these big ideas that dominate most of the college football conversation. There is this belief out there, and in some cases it's kind of pushed by the media, in some cases it's kind of pushed by fans, but there's this belief out there that if you don't embrace all of this kind of stuff really quickly, if you don't dive headfirst into the hysteria of the moment, you're going to get left behind. And you do see, in some cases, coaches really embracing all this stuff very fast. Like if you've seen the stuff around Ole Miss where now you've got like the Ole Miss like officially branded gear that says transfer to the SIP. That's what they call Mississippi, the SIP. That's the nickname for the state. But this whole idea that a big part of their recruiting pitch now is simply two transfers. That's how that's how much they are embracing the transfer portal that it's like an official part of their vernacular the same way you know georgia used to be commit to the g now they're transferred to the sip because they are fully embracing just how much college football is changing and how quickly all of this is going to go down you've got you know lincoln riley at usc doing his own version of that there are a lot of coaches that seem to be like full-fledged embracing the hey come here we'll pay you a bunch of money with nil come here transfer 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 you know we're going to do things differently we're going to embrace all this new stuff and in contrast to all of that, you've got Kirby Smart at Georgia, who seems to just be moving a lot more slowly on that, slow to embrace the transfer portal, slow to want to change his ways, even in fear that he might lose players to the transfer portal, slow to fully embrace, at least based on some of the things he said in the past, fully embrace the NIL era and there's an element of kind of anxious Georgia fans. and There's never a shortage of anxious Georgia fans, it would seem. But there's there's an element of anxious Georgia fans who are like, Kirby, the old stuff doesn't work anymore. Kirby, the old stuff doesn't work anymore. You got to change quickly. You got to be new. You got to be. You got to get with the pay, you know what's happening now. You've got to do transfer portal. You got to do nil. You got to embrace all this new stuff really quickly. But as the writer mentioned a moment ago successful people actually probably change their minds slowly and Kirby's slow pace when it comes to changing his mind Kirby's slow pace towards embracing all that is new in college football I think we see another example this week of all of that really paying off let's talk of Marius Mims here for a moment we obviously did that a bunch yesterday but let's do that more now Remember the video that came out a couple of days ago from Mims when he was taking his visit to Tallahassee? Brennan Sinone, who's a reporter who covers Florida State, is the one that had it. I think we have it. We can show it to you here. This is Mims in Tallahassee getting out of the very fancy SUV, which has been a part of recruiting for a long time. You don't hear sound on this, but the war chant uh, band music is playing. Mims is clearly getting the kind of the red carpet treatment here. Uh, as he enters a hotel down there in Tallahassee, it was a multi-day visit, uh, largely rumored to center around NIL opportunities for uh, for Mims. And all of this on the part of Mike Norvell in Florida State 
seems like a very quick embrace of the new era in which we're living in. That Ah, you know, Georgia, slow to respond. Programs like Florida State, more nimble. They're quick. They're utilizing transfer portal. They're rolling out the red carpet for a guy like Mims. We didn't see this in the sport four or five years ago with guys who are on active college football rosters, but look how quickly a program like Florida State's embracing all of that. Yet, as you know, it didn't work. Mims is not going to Florida State. Mims is staying at Georgia. So, beyond the fact that the Seminoles don't get the offensive lineman they wanted to get, how do you go back to the offensive linemen that are on your team now and say, hey, you're still our guy. I know we spent three days last week treat, treating Amarius Mims as if he was Orlando Pace, but you're our guy. Hey, hey, you're our guy now. I mean, that has to hurt your team chemistry a little bit, doesn't it? That has to hurt your locker room culture a little bit, doesn't it? Now, listen, Florida State has not had a good offensive line since uh, I've been shaving. It doesn't seem like anyway. But, uh, but, but nonetheless, you got to try to build some belief in the guys that you have. And when you are that desperate, and make no mistake about it, the video you just saw, for those of you watching on video, reeks of desperation. When you're that desperate to go get a player off Georgia's roster at the expense of the guys who are on your roster, who were recruited with the idea they're going to have a spot and maybe a chance to play, to then go back and say, ooh, we may have embraced all this a little too quickly. Actually, we're still really glad we have you. If you're Mike Norvell, I don't know how you do that, uh, especially given the fact they've been left to the altar by high-profile players now a few times. I just think you see the example of folks who've changed their mind quickly and decide they're going to fully embrace all that's new in college football. Sometimes it's not quite what it's always cracked up to be. And then you've got Kirby Smart in Georgia. And I do honestly think there's a pocket of fans sometimes – who get really frustrated with him because he's not doing all of this as aggressively as other folks are. Now, eventually he may be, you know, sometimes late adapters eventually, uh, you know, join the party and start doing everything else that everybody else is doing. But successful people just move in that direction a little, a little more slowly. They are very slow to want to change their mind about the tenets and the principles that have guided their success before all of this. And you saw an example of that on Saturday. This was before we knew that Mims was coming back. This was in the midst of time knowing or at least thinking that Amarius was leaving. And we didn't know if he was going to go to Florida State. Most people thought he was. Maybe he'd go to Miami. But it wasn't necessarily thought that he was coming back to Georgia. But Kirby, after G-Day, was kind of asked, you know, big picture and about, hey, is this the time now when George is about to start embracing transfers and bringing guys into the program? And what you thought about the transfer portal all the way around? And as I said before, when you listen closely to Kirby Smart here with these words, what you hear is an example of a guy who's just quite content to move slowly with all of this, even if that puts him at odds with the current pace of culture around this. This from Kirby on Saturday, I thought was really good when asked about if George was now about to move into kind of a transfer portal period where it was looking to add players here from the portal. He gets into some wide-ranging comments, Kirby from Saturday. I don't even think of this next phase as transfer portal phase. I think of it as get stronger, get get bigger uh, phase. Like we have to, we have to get better. We got to physically get better. So we got to lift in May. We got to work out in May. We got to get some guys academically in a good place. And the guys that want to be here, we're going to coach them. The guys that don't, and we're not going to chase after them. We can't. You know, that's that's their determination. We're trying to create a culture of I want to be here and grow and get better. Like you come to Georgia, you get developed. So if I'm not the guy, at least I'm developing to be the guy. And we got a lot of lot of examples of guys that stuck around and became really good players, you know. I mean, I mean Jan is a great example of that. And uh, that's, that's really my focus. It's not on 
Boy, I don't know. That sounds pretty Kirby doctrinish to me. The idea that, hey, we're going to spend the time over the course of the next few weeks getting stronger, getting better. We want the guys to get physically get, you know, to, to get better, to get bigger. He says the guys who, 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 the guys who want to be here, they're going to get coached. The ones that don't want to be here, they're going to leave. And if you do stay here, you're going to get developed, like a Channing Tindall, which is a, a great example, as a Georgia linebacker. That sounds pretty Kirby doctrinish, doesn't it? That sounds pretty much like we described a week ago. And here's the mistake that I think that some folks make. When they hear Kirby Smart speaking there, it sounds a little old school of Kirby, guys don't want to get developed. They want to get paid. You know, guys don't want to work hard. They want to uh, be courted. They want to have, you know, red carpet rolled out for them at, you know, uh, multi-day visits to uh, area hotels. Guys don't want to develop, work hard. That's not what they want these days. They want social media clout. Maybe that's not quite as true as you might think that it is. I mean, Maybe there is still some value in the idea of come here, endure this for a few years, and on the other side, you will do what about a dozen Georgia players are going to do next week, which is cash in in a huge way in the NFL. Maybe there is still some value in that. And maybe controlling what you can control, which is who you bring into a program, working the guys who choose to stay, getting them to be the best version of themselves, the toughest version of themselves, understanding that talent matters, but the way in which you develop that talent may be mattering most of all. It's a little old school, right? It's a slow embrace of what a lot of folks around college football who aren't succeeding in the old way are frantically moving as fast as they can to embrace. But Kirby Smart's content just to go a little slower. In this particular case for him and for UGA, Hard not to notice that slower is better. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We get going before that with our first and 15, 945 at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. And, of course, we're available for you after that on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. And as a podcast, wherever you find them, Apple, Spotify, the Google Player, we post the show at the worldfamousdognation.com. A lot of ways for you to get in touch with us, and we're just glad you do that here today. And a huge thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible for you there as well. When it comes to foundation and waterproofing issues, that is a name that you want to know. First of all, they've been longtime friends of ours here at Dog Nation Daily. And I'm always so happy with the sponsors that we have here because I'm able to get to know these folks, Jay and the entire team over there. I'm able to give a hearty recommendation uh, you know, about them to you because I've been behind closed doors there. I've seen their you know, facility. I've seen all their fleet of vehicles. I've met their people. And I know how much they care about, as I said before, two big issues that face homeowners, water creeping in where it's not supposed to be, cracks showing up, the sign of a potential foundation issue. I know what ESOG's dedication is to helping you solve those problems. After all, they have the word solution in their name. They're a solutions-based company. Plus, they're proud partners of UGA. It's also cool to support those that support the dogs, and ESOG's been doing that for quite a while now, too. So let me tell you to reach out to them. Get to know them. Uh, they got two full-time engineers on staff, and if you see evidence of a need, water where it's not supposed to be, basement, crawl space, garage, or those cracks and the foundation down stairs or the walls, something like that, go ahead and do what needs to be done. Reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Their phone number, very easy to remember. Simply dial 
ESOG now. That's 678 ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're going to get in touch with Connor Riley here coming up in just a moment. A lot to discuss with Connor today. A lot of aftermath from uh, G Day. Connor said some great stuff. Just kind of looking at, you know, some of the story within the story and the, the guys who were, you know, out there and doing some big things for uh, Georgia. A lot of action on both sides. And so it takes a few days to kind of unpack all of that. Connor will help us do some of that here coming up in just a little bit. Before that, though, let me go around the doghouse. Let me give you kind of a big picture take what I thought was really important from GD. I told you yesterday that I thought this game itself, the day itself, checked a lot of boxes from UGA. It was almost kind of uh, old school in that, hey, we're back to having you know big impact on recruits. Obviously, George gets a big commit from Gabe Harris. We talked about that some, and you know other recruits are they're decommitting. Uh, Justin Rett doing that decommitting uh, from from Notre Dame because you know you were left to assume he's having such a good time at UGA. It almost kind of seemed like a kind of a throwback to a to a pre pandemic age of spring games and things like that. So that was uh, kind of fun and and kind of cool. And then beyond that, something else that most fans crave is not just hey, can a game like this make a big impact on recruiting, but can a can a star emerge can a playmaker emerge and I thought there were no shortage of potential areas in which that was true for Georgia and obviously the thing the most people are centering in on right now I don't mean just Georgia fans on this I've had a lot of folks from like sort of outside the market which is kind of a media phrase but sort of outside the market reaching out to me about my gosh where'd Georgia get all those tight ends from it's just kind of funny how much people are paying attention to how much talent Todd Hartley has helped amass right there at that tight end position and I don't know there was anything from Saturday more fun than the breakout performance from Eric Gilbert because like on the one hand this was a little bit like A.D. Mitchell a year ago of a validation we've been hearing a lot during the spring but also we've said so many times is that when Brock Bowers is healthy and playing again you know what you have in him But the challenge for Georgia is if you want to take that next step offensively in in two years in Todd Munkin, there have been big big steps forward taken in each one of those years. But if you want to take that next big step in year three, it's about finding another playmaker to go alongside Brock Bowers. And that could be a running back, it could be a wide receiver, or it could be another tight end. And you're left to believe that after a couple of touchdowns on G-Day, maybe Rick Gilbert could be the guy that does that at least there's a possibility that he is Kirby said some nice things about him after the game on Saturday both in terms of what he did on the field for us all to see but what Kirby and them have been seeing behind closed doors for quite some time this was good from Kirby on Gilbert take a listen to this Kirby's a really uh, tough physical player that's done a good job um, he's I'm more proud of the practices he had leading up to the day than today I mean today was a little bit icing on the cake. He got some good breaks. He had a ball that I think Stetson was throwing away that he ended up making a play on. Um, but you know, he's not where he needs to be either. There were two missed assignments where he didn't block a guy that, that you know, in the run game could kill us. We had tackles for loss, and, and we ended up uh, not blocking a guy. And he, he, did, he, wouldn't, he didn't really have those kind of plays uh, during the spring. But his conditioning level has got to continue to improve. He, he lost uh, a lot of weight, but just what he's been through and overcome is such a great story, uh, but he's not where he needs to be. He'll be the first to tell you he's got to continue to, to grow, to get in shape, to change his body, uh, and get an opportunity to help us with, with the two other guys we've got coming back. You know, it, it makes it a, a luxury of those guys being able to make us a, a special football team. Let me be very candid here for a moment. We've been talking about Gilbert on this show for a long time, and when he was recruit of the five-star variety, 
it certainly seemed that he was pretty intent to go somewhere else other than UGA. So all the hopeful wish casting that maybe shows like this would have had related to Gilbert, there's an element of that which just didn't seem real because it just didn't seem like he wasn't destined to come to Georgia. And then upon leaving LSU, when that's the school that he originally went to, you heard all kinds of other things there as well. well he's going to go to Florida or he's going to go to Georgia, but some folks will say, but he's never going to play or, you know, whatever, you know, things you were hearing. You've heard a lot of stuff over the course of time that once again, I think some folks were led to believe that the conversation around Gilbert as it pertained to Georgia just wasn't real. And when you start hearing that hype about him during the spring, he's practicing again. He's getting ready to play during G-Day. I think because of what has happened in Gilbert's past, not of Gilbert's doing, by the way, just the conversation that's been kind of pushed on him by probably even people like me from time to time, but that conversation that gets pushed on him, I think some folks are left to wonder, well, the Gilbert chatter has existed before, but it turned out not to be real. Folks, if you don't hear anything else I say today, listen to this. The Gilbert talk is real this time. The Gilbert talk is happening. Now, how good does he turn out to be? Who knows? But you saw it with your own eyes on Saturday. This is a real thing. It's really taking place. This is a guy who's working his way back into football shape. He's having a good time playing again. And the weapon that we've been telling you he had the potential to be now for a number of years, I think on Saturday you saw just how true that can really be. However, as they say on TV, but wait, that's not all. Because he wasn't the only tight end to have a really good game on Saturday. Oscar Dell from out of West Forsyth, incoming freshman, probably made the biggest splash, I would say, of the uh, early enrollees in the game on Saturday. Had a bunch of catches. And I thought that Kirby was asked a really good question because this is the kind of thing that I do think matters of is what we saw on G-Day typical for what Delp has also been doing during the spring? And in the midst of being asked that question, uh, Kirby was able to kind of go in a little bit more detail about what he's seen from Delp here thus far, also raising the possibility that he could be a big-time pass-catching target once again out of that tight end position more from Kirby. I thought he didn't get too caught up in the moment and uh, played well. Like Arik has been thrown in the fire, right? Like they're they're out there going every play against guys who've played twenty and thirty games. And uh, you know, I thought he had a, a decent scrimmage today. He caught the ball well. He ran after the catch well. We didn't ask him to block and do some things, right? And those are things that he's got to continue to work on. Playing the SEC, you know, you, you got to be able to do both. You can't just be a receiving tight end. That's what we saw last year with Brock and Darnell. They're they're, they're so versatile. They can do both. I told you last year as it relates to Brock Bowers, I'm not very interested in labels anymore. Bowers, by definition, is a tight end, but if you just put him in the category of pass-catching targets, I've told you there were probably only two pass-catching targets in the entire league a year ago that I think were arguably better than Bowers was. I think Jamison Williams probably might have been, and I think that Traylon Burks at Arkansas might have been. Other than that, I don't believe there's a single receiver in the SEC I would have taken over Brock Bowers. He's technically a tight end, but in my mind, he was among the two or three best uh, receivers in the entire SEC. And when you start thinking about like what's true for Georgia upcoming in 2022, it is obviously a natural source of curiosity that Georgia has so many good tight ends. I mean, it's really pretty crazy to add Gilbert and Delp into a group that already has Bowers and Darnell Washington and you know everything else there. You see a lot of chatter online already about you're going to play four guys at one time, which I like many Georgia fans I hope they eventually do but the same way I didn't get wrapped up in labels for Bowers last year I'm not going to get wrapped up in labels on any of these guys here this year it's just good to have pass catching targets no matter what their specific position label might be 
and Georgia finding a creative way to use Delp or Gilbert or Washington, and we know Brock Bowers, this is what Todd Munkin has shown you he's able to do. So there's kind of a fun curiosity about so many good tight ends, but what's more important than that is the great collection of pass-catching targets, valuable weapons that Georgia seems to be cultivating right now. And for me on Saturday, that is a lot of what G-Day was all about. So great to have you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. There's a funny Nick Saban video I want to get to a little bit later on. It kind of ties into something else I said about Georgia on Saturday, too. So we'll do that before we're done. But for now, a lot to unpack with G-Day. Uh, Connor Riley watched it closely. He's written some good stuff there at dognation.com on the topic. And so we'll talk to him about that and so much more here right now. It's Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Let's do a Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Say hello to Connor Riley, Kroger Fresh Take time with him. A lot to unpack from G-Day. We'll get deep in the weeds on some of this kind of stuff because uh, Connor's had some good stuff there at DogNation.com related to all of that. Connor, before we do, though, let me just get a couple thoughts from you on, uh, I guess, the topic of the moment, which is Amarius Mims coming back. You know, my belief that this is Georgia being Georgia, you know, Georgia's not going to change a lot out of fear of losing a player to the transfer portal. And oftentimes, talented players may decide that, you know what, the structure that's in place in Georgia, the proven track record of success for the template that Georgia has for me, this is more attractive than whatever I might get from what I think of as Florida State, a little bit of a fly-by-night program, just sort of desperate to do whatever it could to get the attention of a talented player like Mims. And as I said off the top, this is Kirby moving moving slower than the current of culture, but the speed with which Kirby moves in this, slow to want to change his mind on some of that kind of stuff, I think is actually better for UGA overall. What did you make of the MIM story as it has unfolded? Yeah, as far as sort of when I think it comes to the transfer portal, I think of, you know, Nick Saban, I know he recently, you know, brought up this point when NIL is, is this what we want college football to be? And I think Kirby is taking sort of his own sort of spin on that with this transfer portal stuff. And in, in terms of, hearing him talk about it and saying, I mean, look, I'm not going to cater to the guys that don't want to be here. If you want to be at Georgia, we're going to coach you up. We're going to do a great job of that. Trayvon Walker might be the number one overall pick. He didn't start a game until his third year in college. Channing Tindall didn't start a game in his four years at Georgia. And guess what? He's probably still going to end up being a, 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 you know, second day pick at the NFL level. So he's got some proven production that he can point to and show in that circumstance to guys. Hey, Look, you might have to wait a little bit while, but you're still probably going to end up being a pretty good player. Jamari Sawyer didn't start until the end of his sophomore year in a Super Bowl win against Baylor. He ends up being a really talented player and is going to be, I think, probably a second or third round pick next week. You've got Broderick Jones, who similarly, five-star prospect, didn't end up really playing until the end of his sophomore year. And you look where he is now and where he could potentially be. There's no problem, I think, with waiting and, and having to wait your turn. I think the big thing with Kirby and Georgia's not alone in fighting this. This is things that Ohio State, Alabama, these are rich 1% problems. They have to fight against the stigma of you have to wait your turn when you're on these such loaded teams because you can't have it both ways where you're playing at the best program in the country and you have the best facilities, the best access to talent, and ultimately the best access to the NFL while also wanting to get on the field early. You can't have your cake and eat it too in that situation. I think this is maybe Mim sort of realizing that. It's like, yeah, I can go cut corners, I can go be you know, a really talented player at, at, at Florida State where I'll get on the field. But I think he really wants to develop and take those extra steps where 
yeah, you might only get one year as a starter at Georgia, but because of everything that went into making you a starter at the best or one of the best programs in the country is going to make you a very attractive player at the NFL level. How about Mims' position? I talked to John Stinchcomb about a lot about this yesterday. By position, I mean offensive line, not just tackle in particular. Uh, a couple of things are pretty interesting to me, which is that the case that Devin Willick is making for playing time while Tate Ratledge is you know, you know, know, injured and kind of away from the team, doesn't seem like he's all that intent on relinquishing that spot anytime soon. Maybe the same thing's true for Xavier Trust there as well. I, I would also say that a guy like Ernest Green is, is probably – maybe a little more developed right now than I expect him to be so soon into the start of his high school career. I was relatively pleasantly surprised with just the role that he was able to occupy for Georgia there on, on, on Saturday. It was kind of cool to pay more attention to him, just in light of the fact that Mims is not here anymore, or at least wasn't here at the time. I was probably watching Green maybe a little bit more closely. I kind of like what I saw. So to me, those kind of rank among the pleasant surprises here, which is that you know, I don't know that Tate Ratlitz just roller skates his way back into a starting job when he returns, although I would predict that he probably gets one. Seems like, you know, there's going to be a pretty good battle there at guard. And Green, as a young player that could conceivably play under the right circumstances for Georgia, I take that as a pretty pleasant surprise there as well. What else did you make of the offensive line? Yeah, I think this offensive line is going to have a lot to sort of sort out in fall practice because I could see Xavier Trust starting. I could see Warren Erickson starting. I could see Tate Ratledge starting. And I could see Devin Willick starting at that guard position there as well. And when you list all those guys out and list up, most of those guys are in their third or fourth years in the program. You can kind of understand why Marius Min's name wasn't thrown out there as an option at that guard position just because all those guys have that little bit of extra experience and time in this program. I will note, you know, if Oscar Delp is the player I think most people came away impressed with from in terms of the early enrollees from Saturday, Ernest Green is my number two in terms of, and this goes into, I think, a larger point that sometimes gets missed with spring games. Don't overinflate the value that we get from G-Day from what happened with the first 14 spring practices. And I think Ernest Green really stood out to Kirby Smart in those first 14 practices and that is why he got some of the praise that he did on Saturday. And I, I think, you know, he's in a spot where, you know, yeah, even, even, you know, without Mims, I think he's got a chance of cracking the two deep, traveling to games, being a guy where if Georgia gets up big on, say, South Carolina week three or they get up big on the road at Missouri, there's going to be spots where Ernest Green, because of where he is and where he is in his development right now, is going to be able to get on the field and get playing reps. And, you know, look, we don't want to look too far in the future a year from now, but, you know, Roger Jones and Warren McClendon could both be in the NFL draft next season, and you could possibly be looking at two new offensive tackles. And after the Mims news and what you saw from Ernest Green on Saturday, it wouldn't surprise me if Ernest Green is your starting left tackle and Amarius Mims is your starting right tackle next season for Georgia. I don't think the quarterback topic coming out of Saturday is as interesting as some people seem to think that it is. I didn't think, that, I didn't think Stetson was that great. and I don't know that I care all that much about it. Uh, the the Beck-Vandegrift thing I find to be pretty interesting. It seems like Beck is a little ahead of Vandegrift based on what I saw on Saturday, although it's also fair to point out that both guys did playing played better while being on the red team, and neither guy did quite as well while playing. They're in the black team, so I don't really quite know how you sort that out, but you know, if, if I was dropped in the position of being Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin, and if Stetson Bennett wasn't available, seems like there's probably justifiably a little more confidence right now in Beck than there is Vandegrift. Maybe that changes between now and September, but is that kind of the read you got on all this? Yeah, I thought Carson Beck looked better than Brock Vandegrift uh, on, on Saturday in terms of what he was able to do and sort of where he is. And I think it's a positive sign for Carson, given, you know, he looked pretty good last spring that ultimately gets passed up on the depth chart by Stetson Bennett, but to the larger, you know, 
diving into, oh, if Stetson was 15, a uh, 35 uh, passing on Saturday. That, that, the offense you saw Georgia play on Saturday, that's not what they're going to do come this season. And going even one step further, if you really want to microanalyze the stats, Carson Beck was one of five on pass attempts for the black team. I, I, I just don't get bogged down by what you see in the stats there. You know, what you saw from Stetson in that game, yeah, he, he did throw two interceptions. I, I would say the second one was worse than the first one. First one was at the end of the half. He was just trying to make a play, you know, last play before the halftime. It was a situation they're just probably not going to find themselves in now all that often. They're taking a field goal there more often than not. And I'd point out as well, Stetson did have three touchdown passes, and nobody else in that, or Carson and Brock, did not have touchdown passes in that game. And I do think that is something that sometimes people overlook in that aspect. But I, Stetson showed great confidence throwing the ball to Arik Gilbert. I thought he was a massive monster in the red zone. And for him to perform that well in that area of the field where he draws a pass interference penalty, in addition to the two touchdown catches he made, was really impressive for him there that day. But I think Kirby summed it up pretty well. Stetson's the quarterback for this team. And what I saw on Saturday does not dissuade me from that notion at all. Two very quick, candid points on quarterback, and then I definitely want to just talk about something else. Here's the thing that kind of frustrates me a little bit is that there is a, and I read some of these comments on video yesterday, tweets I'd gotten after the Orange Bowl, that when Stetson played as well as he did in Miami, was, you know, offensive player of the game there against the Wolverines. I got all these tweets about it doesn't matter, it's only Michigan, let's see him do it against Alabama, whatever else, whatever else. And obviously tying that into Saturday, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, the spring game proves that Stetson Bennett shouldn't be the quarterback. There's a pocket of Georgia fans that would sing based on the social media message that I get that think a big performance in a playoff semifinal game proves nothing and a somewhat lackluster performance in a spring game proves everything. Like you can't have it both ways on that. Like that's just that's just not logical. However, all of that said. I will admit that there's an element of me, even though I'm probably kind of in the pro Stetson camp, and I think that in some respects Stetson's gotten an, just an unfair shake from some people. Mm-hmm. But but there is an element of me as kind of a pro Stetson guy, and it's certainly a fan of Georgia, that wishes that when he has the chance just end all debate, when he has a chance just to end all discussion, just to silence it forever. I do feel like a few times he's stopped short of doing that. And I will admit there's a little bit of frustration there on my part that while I think he has emphatically answered the question as to who should be Georgia's quarterback number one for right now, how he played in the playoff, I think proves that. I think given the chance to completely end the discussion all the way around, he's probably stopped just short of doing that. And I'll admit there's a little bit of frustration on my part as a Georgia fan about that. I think back to January. so. When you factor in the stakes, Kirby Smart has not had a quarterback play a better game than Stetson did against Michigan. That is, I don't believe that is up for debate. I don't think Jake Prime did anything in that. If you want to throw JT Daniels a game against Mississippi State out there, sure. But I thought given the stakes, Stetson doing what he did against Michigan was far more impressive than beating a, what was, I believe, a 3-7 and seven Mississippi State team that day. And to your point of, you know, you wish Stetson could go out there and end that discussion. So he lights up Michigan. He's quite literally, after that turnover in, in the national championship game, perfect to end the game. Doesn't make a mistake. Two touchdowns, I believe four for four for 80 yards, throwing the ball on Georgia's last two drives. Um, you know, And he drew a pass interference penalty there on the final drive there as well for Georgia. And then a week later, he announces he's coming back, and people lose their minds and are furious at him. Theoretically, when he has done the thing that Jake Fromm couldn't do, that Aaron Murray couldn't do, that Matt Stafford couldn't do, that David Green, Eric Zier, however many talented quarterbacks have come through Georgia, all of that happens and people are still furious with him. So like the unfortunate reality with this is 
Stetson could have a Mac Jones or Joe Burrow type season, and it still wouldn't be good enough for some people because there's the perception out there that because he's 5'10", and because he looks the way he does, and because his name is Stetson Bennett, because he was a walk-on, all of that sort of adds up to he's just, in our eyes, never going to be good enough, even though with what we've seen on the field has already, A, been good enough. And once again, I think we can all, we, uh, a lot of people, even some, some of us in the media, gloss over this, why can't Stetson Bennett get better this season? Why can't he improve? He did it last season. He was a wildly different player than he was in 2021 than he was in 2020. Why can't he take even further steps to get forward and get better going forward there? And so with all that coming to mind, I just think so many people, and you've touched on this before, have made up their mind on Stetson Bennett. They they see what they want to see. They don't pay attention to what's actually happening on the field. And that's just the way it is until Stetson Bennett plays his final down for the Georgia Bulldogs. I want to talk about a few more topics here. Let me remind folks, though, this is our Kroger Fresh Take. Kroger's got some great things going on. First of all, when it comes to an issue we're all facing right now is how to save money at the pumps. Kroger's helping you out on that. they got great fuel reward opportunities because you can earn a fuel point for every dollar you spend in a Kroger store and online. You can also have opportunities to earn twice the fuel points as well with gift cards and also special weekends throughout the year. So check out Kroger.com for more on that. Stop by your local Kroger and you can learn how you can save big at the pumps with Kroger when you save big in store there as well. Also, as we told you about yesterday, the return of our Kroger Mother's Day event there as well as we honor championship moms. Obviously, we're all basking in the glow of a lot of championships here in our state over the course of the last year, but it's our championship moms that mean the most to us. And so this is our time of year in which we honor them, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. So if you've got a special mom in your life, whether it's your own mom or your wife who you see being a great mother, maybe you now have a daughter who's become a great mother. Whatever story you have of a great mom in your life, let's get her honored potentially as one of our championship moms. You can reach out to us and tell us why she should win a prize pack worth $350. So we're going to do this with Kroger again once again. It's a great collection of, of gift cards. It includes Bath & Body Works, Home Chef, and, of course, Kroger there as well. Plus, our friends at Sequest and Stonecrest are going to give four annual passports to one of our winners, uh, to each one of our winners there as well. So this is really cool, very easy to enter. Just simply send your information to info at dognation.com. Tell us why your mom, the one in your life, is a championship mom. You can also go to dognation.com and click the link right in there as well. But the email to do all of this is info at dognation.com. Tell us why the mom that you know should be considered a championship mom. You've got between now and April 29th to get your uh, uh, entry submitted, and then we'll uh, announce the winners. And I'll be, of course, reading those here on uh, Dog Nation Daily coming up very soon. We'll draw five winners at random to uh, be the winner on that, and I'll be reading those in a future edition of Dog Nation Daily. But between now and April 29th, send your email to info at dognation.com. Won a great collection of gift cards from our friends at Kroger. So we celebrate championship moms here moving towards Mother's Day, which will be here before you know it. All right, very quickly on a couple of topics. I thought Dejon Edwards really made a strong case for himself on Saturday. Once again, you try not to read too much in spring games, but you know the idea that this is more than just like say the Milton McIntosh tandem. The idea that Edwards is closer to being that group than he is being in the next group, or kind of being that third guy far removed from the top two. Dejon Edwards seems like a weapon that Georgia might be able to use at the running back position. Connor, do you agree? Dejon Edwards is just good. Like there's no there's no sugarcoating it at this point. You know, anyone that watched those late game blows when he got out on the field and and, and made plays. That's all he's ever really done is just get on the field and make plays and be a productive player. For those that have followed him since high school, you know, him doing what he did at Colquitt County down there in Moultrie is not all that surprising. And so I think that he is sort of, you know, bucked this recruiting trend where, again, you know, Georgia's recruited so well at the running back position 
that when he is only a middling four-star, and I use that in air quotes there, still one of the better players in the country when you consider all the high school football prospects, it's not surprising that he is able to come in here and do this because the thing we know about Del McGee, if Del McGee gives you the stamp of approval that you're good enough to play running back at the University of Georgia, odds are you're probably a pretty talented player and capable of doing a lot of special things. And so that, that, that Dejon Edwards has done what he has done at Georgia it is not surprising in the least. And, it, you know, it, be it injuries that occur over the course of the season, we're probably going to see Dejon Edwards carry the ball in some pretty significant situations. And it's not going to surprise me to see him come out there play really well and, and look like a Georgia running back should. Let me move to the defense here for a moment. And we kind of do some of this a little bit big picture. Um, I guess let me do outside linebacker for a moment because that's one of those spots I think a lot of folks would say, well, if Georgia does take a transfer portal addition, outside linebacker might be the spot, the edge rusher, if you will. That might be the spot that Georgia's looking for a veteran, maybe more so than anything. I mean, I saw kind of a cool moment from Nolan Smith on Saturday where he kind of showed you his speed in a very big way, got off very quick against uh, McClendon one time. That's going to be a real weapon, I think, for Georgia defensively. I don't know that I have as many standout moments for not saying they didn't play well. I'm just saying I didn't really notice for like, say, an MJ Sherman or a Chas Chambliss. I know Chambliss, I guess, played some at defensive end, I think, on Saturday there as well. But what did you make of kind of like I know, at, at the outside linebacker position for Georgia in particular, Connor? Yeah, well, I think it's important. No, no Robert Beal on Saturday. He was not actively playing in that game there. I would note Chas Chambliss probably has, in my opinion, passed MJ Sherman on the depth chart there. I think the big thing with that position is, so what do you get out of Marvin Jones Jr. and Darius Smith this season? Because I think they're going to be in a spot where, you know, a year from now when Smith and Beal are gone, I think they're going to probably have to be the faces of this defensive or this outside linebacker edge rusher position. But one other thing I would note there as well, I was really impressed with what I saw from Jalen Walker coming off the edge there. And it wouldn't surprise me to see if you use, say, a Jalen Walker, Xavier and Story, or even, say a Michael Williams, because I don't think he's necessarily the true, you know, massive monster on the defensive end spot that either Malik Herring or a Trayvon Walker certainly was this past season for Georgia. He's a little bit of a skinnier. And so as he continues to put on weight and develop as a defensive end, I think maybe you can find some snaps there, that edge outside linebacker position. So while I get there might be some people who want to see, you know, transfer portal addition there, I would actually say safety is the much bigger concern for me when coming out of G-Day. I just did not think that Georgia had championship caliber secondary play on Saturday. Now, granted, they're very banged up. They're very thin. No Kamari last year, which I actually thought was one of the bigger disappointments because he's a guy we've heard a lot about and wanted to see how he would handle being, you know, a starting potential cornerback there. And so they slide William Poole out to the other cornerback position. I think that impacts this defense a little bit but the big thing for me from this defense on Saturday was they need to get better at that secondary position whether it be you know you you're able to move William Poole there you have Javon Bullard at star who did have an interception or you have to go out and get someone in the transfer portal who sort of fits what Georgia is looking for maybe Tyke Smith comes back healthy and is able to impact you there but I actually came away pretty concerned about what what Georgia has in that safety spot yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I think I you either said this or I, I read this. I honestly can't remember that that secondary was a big concern from you. I had some folks going to bring this up yesterday too. Of you know, there were some big passing plays in this game. Do you you put a negative mark against the secondary because of that? Maybe you've said all that needs to be said, but I mean, expound on that a little bit more about why coming into the game secondary was already such a big concern for you. Yeah, so they've had so many transfers and then obviously injuries on top of that, that, you know, you have no T.I.K. Smith. Even Dan Jackson, who got the start at safety, was in a white non-contact jersey there. And, you know, in a more ideal world, they probably wish they could have sat out Dan Jackson. But look at that second team defense, because I hear 
so many people bringing up, oh, well, you know, Carson looked really great against that second team defense. They had three early enrollees out there, Dalen Everett, Malachi Starks, and Ja'Cory Thomas, who I, in, in the future, I have no doubts will be great players. But Carson Beck's first pass to, to Arian Smith, which went for 60 yards and was one of the more impressive plays in the day. Aaron Smith did nothing special. He just ran past Malachi Starks at safety and Dalen Everett at a corner there. He had Nolan Green, who actually I came away pretty impressed with. And then you had, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce his name here, Jalen Kennedy playing that second team star, who actually, all things considered, you know, they, they were throwing at Dominic Blaylock a lot on that second team offense and just really putting Kennedy in a, in a tough situation. I actually thought he held up well. But he's a walk-on, and so you have those guys there, and it just speaks to the lack of depth and the lack of experience that Georgia has right now in that secondary. In the history of college football, has there ever been a team that recruits more five stars that also plays more walk-ons than Georgia does? It's actually like really amazing. And like, so, I mean, obviously, people know the Stetson Bennett story; he's not walking anymore. But like, they played Jalen Johnson a decent amount at wide receiver. You got Kennedy playing you know, a ton for Georgia on Saturday. Obviously, Dan Jackson. Like this program. <laughs> plays a ton of walk-ons to have nothing but like top 100 like of the 85 guys on the roster it seems like about 80 of them were top 100 recruits and yet they're playing walk-ons all the time it's actually pretty remarkable yeah i throw jackpot lesney out there as well as your kicker and actually it touches on something you know they were showing off the rings yesterday and one of the things i wondered and obviously makes sense that they did i was actually really glad that the walk-ons got championship rings i think that's a really cool Thing, you know, I could very easily say, see, oh, you know, we're only going to do for scholarship players, you know, because it comes with it and whatnot, the extra expenses. It was really cool to see those walk-ons who make so many sacrifices and never get the ounce of credit unless you're, say, a Dan Jackson getting blown up in the spring game by Darnell Washington or a candidate who's, yeah, you're going to go defend Dominic Blaylock every time he goes back and tries to catch a pass. A really thankless job out there. And those guys got better for it. And, you know, Jackson made an impact for Georgia last season, and after what we saw on Saturday, where Georgia is in the secondary, it's not going to surprise me to see Kennedy make the same sort of impact for Georgia at some, some point. point. So uh, uh, scholarship players have gotten their rings, walk-ons getting their rings. Have not heard yet when podcast hosts are getting their championship <laughs> rings. I- I'm assuming that email's coming. I-, I don't know. I mean, I-, I know everybody's been busy right now, but hopefully we'll be hearing about when the podcast hosts are getting their rings coming up really soon. Connor, I can, I can certainly assume that's probably on the way, right? Yeah, I don't know if media members are going to get that. You know, so, uh, you know those in the press conferences that are asking the questions that Kirby doesn't always like. But I feel like you're detached enough to where you might be able to, you know, scrounge up a ring or get a ring there from Kirby for the PR work that you have done for for Kirby. Scott. I mean, I'm assuming he's going to be reaching out about my ring side soon, so we can handle that offline. Yeah. Kirby, if you're watching right now, we'll take care of that offline. But uh, Connor, thanks for being here for our Kroger Fresh Take today. Really good information, and I'm sure we'll have plenty more to say about G Day in the weeks to come there too. Yep, as always, was a pleasure to be here. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I actually don't know what my ring size is. Uh, a lot of you know, maybe noticed this. Like, I've been married for what seems like 100 years. I don't wear a ring. I wear a watch every day, but I don't wear a ring. For some reason, um, I just never liked wearing it. Um, and I just never have. So, uh, I think my – like, what, what finally got my wife – to like allow me not to wear anymore was the fact that I was always just taking it off and playing with it and I kept losing it. I think she was afraid that I could just lose it forever. So I think she finally acquiesced by saying, well, okay, I'll just take it and I'll put it up. That way one day, I don't know, it'll be an heirloom or something. Uh, but I don't ever wear wedding rings. I don't have any idea what my ring size 
uh, even is. But if uh, Kirby needs to know that for purposes of the championship ring, I'll be happy to uh, I'll be happy to let him know. But we'll handle that at, at a different time. Let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, because I am so excited. We're inside of a week away from being on board Independence of the Seas, and this is one of those deals where. I think a lot of you are going to hear about the fun we're about to have on this cruise, and it's going to be your reminder, and I really do think you should do this. I think that you should get on board your own Royal Caribbean cruise ship here coming up very soon because you're thinking about vacations for the summer and things like that. Y'all, I just think that there's so much to do. If you haven't done this in a long time or if you've never done this before or if you're just a regular cruiser, um, I just think that this summer, this is a great way to enjoy all the fun things happening on like on, on the ship we're going to be on. We're going to be on Independence of the Seas coming up. And I was actually even looking at some more this year today. You've got all kinds of special rest, you know, uh, uh, specialty restaurants. There's a Chops Grill, which is a cool steakhouse. There's a Zumi, which is kind of one of those hibachi-style restaurants. There's a Playmaker Sports Bar. There's Johnny Rockets, which is sort of like the classic, you know, 50s diner with the, with the hamburgers and everything like that, the chili cheese fries and, you know, things along those lines. There's a specialty Italian restaurant there as well. It's just one of those things where, like, if you're like me, you can't eat it. Like when I go on vacation, I want to eat a bunch, I want to drink a bunch, I want to enjoy the sunshine, want to, you know, go around and hear a bunch of live music and just relax and do a bunch of fun stuff. It's just like all of that at the same place on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. And then you got the great ports of call there as well. We're going to be visiting Nassau in the Bahamas. We're going to be going to Perfect Day Coco Cay, which is literally probably my favorite place in the world to spend a day. I got a chance to do that here coming up with all of you who are going to be going. So I can't wait to do all of that. And Check out my friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority as a way of booking your own Royal Caribbean cruise as you head towards the summer, whether it's one of the shorter kind of like three or four night stays like we're going to be on on Independence of the Seas or you want. I was on Harmony of the Seas. I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Harmony. Of the, I was on Harmony of the Seas back in February. That's a seven night sailing. Uh, so many cool things to do there. And, you know, the different ships have the different amenities, different cool things to do on board. And you can kind of search all the choices and find the one that's perfect for you and your family. But I would just recommend it very, very heartily to be on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship as we head towards the summer. And I can't wait to be on board with some of you next week with Independence of the Seas, the very first ever cruise with Dog Nation. So this is funny. I tweeted this on Saturday. One of the things I really like is that Georgia takes steps to make the spring game feel like a spring game. There are a lot of programs that are kind of moving the direction of it's really just more of a practice even like some big programs i think ohio state is doing like offense versus defense scrimmage i don't think they had actual teams but georgia has like actual teams like they you know the red team gets its own like video entrance the black team gets its own video entrance the black team has to dress in like the visitors locker room which is nowhere near as nice as the uh west end zone locker room that the uh whole team typically uses and the red team uses on on g-day like in professional wrestling some of y'all know i like professional wrestling there's a phrase called keeping it like kayfabe which is pretending that things are real there's an element of like georgia on g-day that's very kayfabe it's like the two teams are separate uh you know they're taking all of that very seriously they're obviously playing for the prize of winning team gets the steak and lobster the loser losing team has to eat the beanie weenies well, Alabama, I guess, does a version of that, too. There's nothing apparently Alabama won't copy from Georgia. I say half kiddingly. But um, so there's video that came out. And I think this came out from someone within the Alabama program, but I'll show you this on, on the screen here. 
So like Nick Saban is sitting there visiting with some players, and you see like the roped off section here. One like one of the winning A Day players is giving some dessert over to another player, and I apologize. Uh, so um yeah, so Dallas Turner, you know him, passing over the uh, chocolate cake, trying to give it to Malachi Moore here, and Nick Saban intercepts and won't let Moore have the dessert because he was on the losing team from A Day. Now there's a lot from Nick Saban I don't love, but I think this is really funny. Because, as I said before, it's a certain, like, keep it kayfabe nature to the spring game of, hey, we're going to treat this like a real game. <laughs> and the winning team is going to get the dessert, the chocolate cake. The losing team's not going to uh, get that. Saban, I guess, was visiting with both teams, just happened to be sitting on the losing side right there. But uh, Nick Saban says no chocolate cake for losers here on this. Uh, that's actually pretty funny. I'll give Saban some credit for that. That's pretty well done. I'm glad there was some video there to uh, capture that. Something else that I think is well done, UCF. So you know they won the Gasparilla Bowl against Florida this past year, and they are still having fun with that, giving out their own Gasparilla ring, Gasparilla Bowl uh, rings here that also kind of serve as like state championship rings. They're kind of touting themselves as state champions there in the state of Florida. Let me show you the ring here from UCF. <laughs> now listen, for some reason, um, you know UCF claiming a national championship irritates me to no end. UCF claiming a state championship after having beaten Florida in the bowl game. I'll take that any day of the week. I don't love the idea of bowl rings necessarily. I think we're probably getting a little too many championship rings these days. I think it waters down the real rings. But uh, touting yourself as state champions at the expense of those lousy, stinking Gators, we will take that any day of the week. I think that's uh, really funny and well done. So a good job by UCF. State champions in the state of Florida for this past year. There are a lot of Florida programs in a very bad mood right now. Like, if have you read any of the Florida State message boards over the course of the last 24 hours? Oh, my gosh. Like, there's always a Florida – I should say there's always a fan base somewhere who's pretty upset about something. But the way in which these Florida State fans are turning on their own, the media that covers these programs in some respects, about how the Amarius Mem stuff all went down, like, this is – this is really pretty wild. So you got, you know, Florida on hard times, Florida State on hard times, Miami in a perpetual state of rebuild, it would seem. And on top of all that, UCF is touting the Gasparilla Bowl champs and their state champs in the state of Florida. You kind of love to see it. That's pretty funny stuff. We will make that cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. As we wrap up here today, uh, golden shoe time, sad to report that something I've been working on for a number of years just showing no signs of getting any better. Uh, our buddy Scott Green came by to see us uh, at the UGA bookstore on Saturday for our Dog Nation postgame show. Took a picture, and this is funny. It's me on the telephone here, and what Scott says with his caption is uh, that Dog Nation Daily is calling people to let them know that George is going to Atlanta again. And the photo is me on the phone. When we're doing a show like this. I have to go on the phone with our producer back in Atlanta, Michael Carvel. He kind of lets me know when he's ready to start the show, and we'll do that. So if you're watching a video, I wish I would have zoomed in more on this. Like, that's a hideous listening face. Like, you know, the, the listening face that I give when I'm, you know, doing – I haven't done a lot of press conferences recently, but when I have been doing them, the listening face I show to Georgia players, awful. But the listening face here in the phone looks like I just found out, like, my home insurance is going up. Like, I mean, like, that's an awful face. But uh, Scott Green, very funny for capturing that, will give you a golden shoe. By the way, speaking of lousy, stinking Gators, how about 4,849 days since they have won a national championship? Tough to be a Gator, and it's going to be hard to be a Gator again. 193 days from right now. That's our Gator Hater countdown. How long we have to wait until Georgia beats up on Billy Napier for the first time? Y'all have a great day. We will see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily. 
presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the RS Andrews Podcast Cool Down. We'll take your comments here uh, on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily in the comment section at dognation.com. Our buddy Fantastic Six weighing in. I think this is the thought that's on a lot of Georgia fans right now. He says, imagine Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington on one side and Eric Gilbert and Oscar Delp on the other side. Uh, could that be a possible package? He says, hashtag unstoppable. I hope it's the case. Uh, I mean, this is one of those things where, like, I think last year the version of this was, like, folks who wanted Jordan Davis to score a touchdown. That was everything that everybody was talking about. And now it's, hey, you got to get four tight ends of the game at the same time, which uh, – I think would be really fun. I also think that there is a potential controversy brewing. And I was talking off the air to Connor Riley about this on Saturday. I think that we have reached a crisis level when it comes to the pronunciation of Mr. Gilbert's first name, where you heard Kirby on Saturday call him Arik. The um, PA announcer calls him Arik. That's what Georgia officially listed his pronunciation as being. And yet there seems to be still a huge pocket of folks who think that George is just wrong about this, that the actual pronunciation of his name is actually Eric. And, like, I hear strong (sighs) – I get strongly worded letters when I pronounce his name on both sides of the aisle. So I don't really quite know where we're going with that in the future. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very excited at the possibility of what all these tight ends can do. And I was saying this on the radio. I was on with my friends at 92.9 The Game a little earlier today. I just think that – it's more about having capable pass-catching targets, and there's no doubt that's what George appears to have with those guys. UGA66 writes into dognation.com to say, I was a bit taken aback when I saw that Aunt Marius Mims was uh, leaving the portal in what was called a change of heart. Not really surprised now, though, that I think about it. Florida State looks to only win about seven games this season, not on NFL short list of top players. Miami, Mims actually thought this through, and his return makes more sense career-wise. He looks to start at tackle next season. This will boost his draft status, which is what he's all about. UJ and uh, Smart know how to develop players and uh, they that want to be developed. Mims, he says, will likely pull in some serious NIL money as well. He made a wise choice, and I think he knows it. Just hope he is a uh, true dog. Yeah, I, I do think this represents a pretty, you know, what I would think of as a pretty good business decision for Mims. Obviously, it's kind of hard to separate the Georgia you know, fan and all of us in a discussion like this, but I think some of you know that I have interest in a topic like this beyond just what it means for Georgia, but what it means for college football in general. And these are the kinds of things that you hope, I think, players uh, understand, that NFL is worth more than NIL. He probably would have gotten some money for going to Florida State. I think some people thought last week he agreed to some sort of deal related to all of that. And ultimately, whatever Georgia provides is just simply more valuable. The kind of expert training he gets at a place like Georgia, I believe, has a monetary value. And whatever that worth is, is greater than whatever Florida State could give you, given the fact that's a turmoil in program. Uh, I should say, let me reverse that, a program in turmoil is what I mean to say. So I think it's all good there on that front. And it's another reminder here. You know, things have rarely been better for Georgia fans than what they are right now. Georgia's the reigning national champions. The rings were given out on Saturday. I thought G-Day itself was incredibly entertaining. I had a lot of fun watching the game. Going back to rewatch some of it, I've enjoyed that again a second time. The one piece of seeming bad news lately, the Marius Mims, about face, come to find out that's not bad news at all either. It's actually a really fun time to be a dog fan as the 2022 horizon stands uh, 2022 season stands here on the horizon so uh good stuff thanks for being here for our rs andrews podcast cool down we will see you tomorrow right here on dog nation daily presented by esog we'll look forward to talking to you then